rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, currently the chaplain at Cedar Break Retreat Center, joined today by Deacon Ronnie Lastavica in our restorative justice ministry in the Diocese of Austin, which is to the incarcerated, the corrections officers, and all parties involved, their families, the victims, everyone that's involved in restorative justice. And we are in the midst of a series of conversations on the topic of suicide. Uh, Suicide has become something that is certainly on the radar of many in the life of the prison system, but not just in the prison system, obviously. Uh, Many of us have to deal with suicide uh, outside of the prison system. It is a difficult topic for, for many, but there are some beautiful things that our church has to say about that. And one of the uh, resources that we have encountered is the Veritas series from the Knights of Columbus. And the many topics they cover in that series, Coping with Suicide is one. And we're traveling through their pamphlet entitled Coping with Suicide. It's a beautiful, beautiful and well done piece. And we just wanted to be sure and share that with those who couldn't get that pamphlet in their hands. Or if they do, they can hear about it first from our conversations and then pick it up for yourselves. And we concluded uh, last time in the middle of the section of coping, uh, uh, rather, excuse me, of um, being able to, uh, uh, let's see, what was it called specifically? How does one grieve this type of loss? How does one grieve this type of loss? Is it possible to move on? And the answer is yes. And we were traveling through, got about halfway through that section. And uh, so we wanted to uh, pick up, we had, we had started with uh, the different ways uh, of coping, including temporary coping me- mechanisms. And uh, let me give it to you, Deacon Ronnie, to uh, continue us on in the conversation. Yeah, so as we, we see the early symptoms of grief, uh, there are also other emotions that begin to emerge. And we must remember that emotions are neither right or wrong. Rather, it is one what one does with them that gives them a moral quality. And uh, one of the things we can draw from the Catechism of the Catholic Church in 1767 and 1773 is one common reaction to suicide is anger or rage. And the, the bereaved often uh, feel angry with themselves and are the deceased for leaving them or other loved ones with a legacy of rejection, betrayal, abandonment, and extreme suffering. And blame may be directed at those who were in contact with the deceased near the time of the su- their suicide, at the mental health system, or at society by its, itself for stigmatizing mental illness or in suicide. And they may believe that suicide was spiteful and have difficulty trusting again after such a great blow. And for some, this rejection confirms belief that they are unlovable, possibly affecting their sense of self-worth and leading them to isolate themselves from others to avoid the risk of being hurt again. I'm going to say that one more time. For some, this rejection confirms belief that they are unlovable, possibly affecting their sense of self-worth and leading them to isolate themselves from others to avoid the risk of being hurt again. So isolation, however, prevents the bereavement from locating support. It goes back to that whole idea of community that we spoke about last time. Along with being angry at the departed, they may simultaneously miss and long for them with intense sorrow and loneliness. 
And in reacting to their inability to change the situation, many survivors experience a feeling of powerlessness and helplessness, which can lead to hopelessness and despair. Despair can deplete our energy to care about what happens to oneself and to others and can lead to suicidal feelings themselves. Anger and blame. That seems to be a thread that runs through all of this, which I think for some of us might be a surprise. I have somebody that I loved or at least was someone with whom I had a a close relationship or was a friend that I kind of depended on for stability in my time of incarceration or if I'm on the outside of prison in just my daily life. Maybe it was a neighbor, maybe, you know, a family member. And, And now they have taken their life by suicide. We go all the way back to our first segment, which is this isn't about death. It's about relief from pain. But I'm not there. As the person left behind... I'm coping with how this has affected me, and it's hard for me to step into the shoes of the person that has taken their life. So that being said, one of the places that I go is to blame um, the system, myself, uh, the person that took their own life, or to have anger, even towards the deceased. And as our pamphlet says, even towards the deceased, this is an acceptable and understandable reaction. Anger can be part of the healing process and denying this legitimate feeling because of mistaken fear that it is somehow wrong will only delay healing. That's a question that comes up an awful lot, too, as a priest when people come to me and they're struggling with feelings of anger. Uh, we're talking about specific to coping with the, the the death of someone who has taken their own life in suicide, but just anger in general. And let's let's remember, anger is a gift from God. Uh, in many cases, what anger does, and we often classify it as what is known as righteous anger, it's there to keep us from being without reaction in the face of an injustice that cries out to God, and God has decided that we're supposed to be an instrument to fight that justice, but sometimes injustice, rather. Fighting injustice sometimes is costly, and if we don't have righteous anger, we don't have courage to respond. The key is that once righteous anger has been exhausted so that we get up and we move on something that will help further the kingdom of God, we can't stay in it. It can't stay operating in anger all the time. And that's where we're going to go with this. Proper expression and acknowledgement of feelings of anger actually enables healing. That's proper expression and acknowledgement of feelings of anger enables healing as compared to I'm angry this feels good, and I'm just going to stay angry, and everything I do is going to be anger. Well, that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is allowing yourself the gift of those natural instincts of anger that God makes us to have so that it enables healing. One of the ways to do that is to to put it out there on the table, and it goes back to what Deacon Ronnie was talking about just a moment ago from the, the pamphlet about isolation, and he repeated it. Because isolation is one of those things that a lot of us tend to do. I've got burned by being in relationship with somebody, in this case, somebody who has taken their life. So the way around that is just not to be in relationship with anybody. So we go on here talking with someone, which means I'm not isolating, talking with someone who is understanding and non-judgmental, going for a walk or a run, punching a pillow, which we don't have in prison, or lifting weights, which we do, 
journaling about feelings, writing but not sending letters to those at whom the anger is directed, the deceased person, to God himself or to others, are all productive ways of coping with anger. Have an honest conversation with God about these feelings, knowing that his unconditional love will heal anger and aid in the task of forgiveness. So maybe you get that anger in there, you utilize it to do some courage and some work, and yet at the same time, now you can't get rid of it. And and it's gotten to be something that you can't shake. This is where you go. You, you talk to other people, you express a, a type of frustration in a positive way, you have that honest conversation with God about the feelings of anger, knowing that God's unconditional love will heal anger and aid in the task of forgiveness. If you can believe that, if you can allow yourself to believe that God's unconditional love will heal your anger and aid in the task of forgiveness, you can avoid, you don't have to be taken into hopelessness and despair. When we leave God out as a recourse for these things, that's when we get ourselves vulnerable to hopelessness and despair. God is the answer. The love of God in Jesus Christ is the answer. The Spirit of God flowing through the Scriptures and through the tradition of our church is the answer. That Spirit flowing through other people that you share Christian faith with, whether they're Catholic or not, that's the answer. God's unconditional love will heal anger and aid in the task of forgiveness. And the natural sense of relief one experiences when a source of tension, such as a strained relationship or prolonged suffering, is removed may be both a source of guilt and the means by which a survivor of suicide punishes himself or herself for the responsibility assumed for the death. Feelings of guilt can also occur for laughing, having a good time, or merely being alive when the loved one is dead. So we've moved on from anger now into senses of guilt. So, you know, the person dies, and maybe they were a problematic person for you in your, in your cell block, in your dorm, uh, wherever it is that you're living in the incarcerated state or in, in ordinary settings in regular life. And yet... Now you're having senses of guilt because you feel relief that they're gone because they ended their life by suicide. So um, the, the, these, uh, let's see, having a good time or merely being alive when the loved one is dead. In addition, some survivors are haunted by nightmares or flashbacks, especially if they witnessed the event of the suicide or they're the ones that found the loved one. This is why it is important to tend to that anger. You're hurting yourself. You've been exposed to something traumatic. You deserve to be healed. You get to be healed. You may find yourself avoiding people or places that remind you of the suicide or reliving the images of that over and over again in your mind. Survivors of suicide are more susceptible to developing depression and even to committing suicide themselves. Family relationships can suffer when grief is not resolved. It's important not to ignore these feelings or to deny oneself the freedom to mourn. Additional support may be essential for healing and to ensure that further problems do not develop. Again, whatever additional support that's healthy that you can find for yourself within the walls of the prison, it's really good to be able to do that and to take the effort to do it. 
Deacon Ronnie, let me get you to, to talk about what's next there, where they, they say, finally, some may feel. Sure. Some, some may feel a certain uh, sig- stigma regarding the suicide, which stems from a concern that, that others may regard them or the departed as somehow blameworthy or defective. So we see here the, there are feelings of embarrassment, shame, and a desire to hide the true nature of the death may cause survivors to withdraw to avoid difficult questions or what they might perceive as disapproval. Uh, police investigations uh, can exacerbate feelings of shame, although the same shame is not an uncommon reaction. It's, it may hinder the ability to cope with underlying feelings and trap victims in their shame and isolation. People who have not had the experience of losing a loved one to suicide often do not know how to respond and may simply feel inadequate wanting to avoid saying anything that might cause pain. So their avoidance and silence or discomfort may inadequately send a message of, of blame for the suicide. So here we see that, that the importance of support, a, a bereavement support group for survivors of suicide can be very helpful in dealing with uh, with these um, mistaken uh, perceptions. And, and if nothing's available, especially in the unit and this nature, there are groups uh, that, that you can uh, perhaps uh, uh, form internally, you know, in, into your uh, inner circle of, of just a confidant to be able to sit down and, and, and listen, allow, allow yourself to be available to someone who maybe has had a family member at home that um, has committed suicide and and you're not there to solve anything except to listen. You know, there's a gift of, of presence to that person that's it's just um, very valuable at this moment. Um, should physical or emotional suffering become unrelenting, seek help from a physician or from the mental health provider in the unit, ideally from someone who shares the... And of course, again, we, we get into boundaries of faith with, with the mental health community, but, but you want to be able to, to seek out... Uh, someone that has a sense of knowing that, that again, uh, there's more to this than this event, you know, that our life is, is, is meant to be eternal. So uh, any thoughts of self-harm require immediate help from a physician or emergency room, and sometimes short-term help is sufficient to bring one through the most difficult part of the crisis. So a, a family, um, um, just, again, I can't stress the importance of talking. You need to keep talking. Don't, don't stop. Um, especially um, in this most vulnerable time. Um, there's no time frame uh, for grief. Um, each person has a unique timeline for grieving, and as we begin our session last time, that, that no two of us grieve the same way. So it's always going to be something different from, for each of us. Some survivors expect that the first anniversary of their loved one's death will bring closure to their grief. And you're going to get people that tell you that. You're going to get people that say, uh, here's how your grief should work. Here's how your grief shouldn't work. By now you should be over it, quote unquote, et cetera. You know, that's probably well-meaning. I think most people that say those kinds of things are really trying to to do the best that they can to help you through. Um, But at the same time, let's keep in mind that, that what we hear from the professional community, what this pamphlet, which was written by professionals, is telling us is you got to be careful with that. Uh, people grieve at different rates and over different lengths of time. 
It is entirely dependent on the relationship with the person who is deceased, on what we had going on in our own lives before that this whole thing ever came up of the suicide of someone that we know and love. You just have to be patient with yourself, which we, we talked about earlier, patience, patience, patience. And you really do want to hold on to that. So although this is a, a milestone, the anniversary of their death, it seldom marks the end of mourning. If the first year is spent primarily in emotional numbness, the second year may bring increased pain. While a suicide is never entirely forgotten, time inevitably eases the intensity of the suffering and allows the survivor to move forward in a healthy way. For those of you who lived the incarcerated life, one of the things that I marveled at being among you was your ability to manage time. And I do mean in in your day in and day out schedule of life. But what I mean more than that is time spent over periods of time. Your sentences that are 1 to 30 to 40 years, the manner in which you who live the incarcerated life have figured out a way to embrace time, to work through time, to keep time in perspective, I would tell you is a gift that many of us on the outside do not have. We still labor under the false impression that we can control our time, whereas you have already had the sense of knowing where that's actually a reality and where it is not because you're under the auspices or the, that is to say the, the direction of the state of Texas in our case. We have a valuable lesson to learn from you in that way. So just know that that's a gift that you can draw on, even though it's one that you just assume not have because you wouldn't be in prison if you didn't have it. But anyway, it allows you to move forward in a healthy way. But here's the key, and we're going to repeat it again because we've said it before. Patience, gentle patience with oneself and with others who may be experiencing continual continuing difficulty over the event of a suicide, this is essential. Eventually, the, quote, good days that some survivors have described as vacations from the grief will come. The memories of the loved one that were once dominated by the suicide will gradually give way to the memories of the fullness and goodness of the deceased loved one's life. And I can tell you that's true from personal experience. Um, In the case of someone who died, um, that I knew and that I cared about and in, in the way that, that uh, they, they contributed to their own death, uh, it was angerifying, as I called it. And I don't even think that's a real word, but nevertheless, it was real to me. But I did find over time that once I kind of got over myself, I found that that was kind of a selfish need on my part to be anger, angry. I got back to the reason I was angry because they were a beautiful person. And I loved having them in my life. And they contributed to my formation as a priest, and they were able to increase me as a human being. You hate to lose people like that in your lives. And when they go in that way, anger can be one of those things. Just trust me, over time, and and again, you guys that are incarcerated, you gals, have that down very well, uh, allow that to to change. And that brings us to the next section in, in our booklet here on coping with suicide. And it's a companion section to to what we just did. You know, how do we deal with grieving? Well, we deal with it to the point that we can actually begin to embrace healing. And so the next section is on strategies for healing. In our strategies for healing, we first turn to hope. 
And hope lies in working through grief at one's own pace rather than ignoring sadness or pretending it does not exist. So focusing on healing rather than on events prior to the suicide or what might have been done differently. Be certain to take care of physical needs. Get adequate rest, good nutrition, do some physical activity such as walking, playing a sport, or working in a work assignment. Uh, Medications may be necessary in order to obtain needed sleep, but be cautious with prescription sleep aids, some of which may become addictive. And, of course, always receive the sacraments in prayer. I can't stress the the uh, importance of the grace that comes from uh, the life and the sacraments and, of course, the necessity for not just occasional but daily prayer and sometimes hourly prayer. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, the psalmist writes in Psalm thirty four eighteen, and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Simply offering one's anguish to God in prayer can be very powerful, in fact, is powerful. Ask Him for strength and grace to make it through each day, as I mentioned earlier, perhaps even each hour, and pray for others that they, who may be suffering from this particular heartache. Uh, sp- seek a spiritual guidance if anger or, or guilt or shame hinders the strength and consolation that comes from prayer and the sacraments. And again, I advise you to seek out um, the minister teams that are coming into your unit. Um, sign up for a, a chap talk. Get over and, and visit with with the chaplain and, and say, look, this is something that I need to speak with you about, the importance of, of being again in community. And the third thing they we mentioned earlier before, and I just want to reiterate it, the importance of connection with others. Gradually moving away from the tendency towards isolation, especially when driven by a feeling of being blamed or stigmatized by others, surrounding oneself with supportive help and discussing painful feelings are critical uh, forward steps in the grieving process. And most people genuinely are concerned but do not know how to help someone who is grieving over suicide and may avoid the bereaved out of fear of saying the wrong thing. So simply letting others know that just listening or being present, even long after your loved one has died, may aid them in this this honest desire uh, to do something helpful. So, of course, no one has any magic solutions here, but connecting with others who are supportive leads to greater peace. And again, that's just that ministry of presence. Just, Just suit up and show up. Be able to listen and be available Rather than lying upon one's uh, or two people for support, build a network through through uh, the the chapel. Um, there's there's a many a, a very um, I'd say absolutely outstanding programs that are being offered now uh, in our units in terms of uh, through the life coaches and peer coordinators and and the chapel activities. Be a part of the group, sign up and 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 join and connect with others rather than um, and expect along the way that this support that so you're not there feeling like I'm doing this all on my own there's a sense of that they're in there with you on this expect setbacks that's going they're going to happen sudden sometimes overwhelming painful emotions can occur years later another death or a photograph or something as simple as a song can rekindle intense feelings about suicide and these setbacks will most likely be temporary if the grieving process was allowed to progress naturally one thing I would want to say about this uh, connecting with others uh, 
especially for those who are living the incarcerated life, but for all of us, when you really don't seem like you have somebody with whom you can connect on a topic such as this, don't forget the saints. The saints walk with us. They are the church of heaven. They are every bit as much with us and can interact with us as anybody else. And I want to introduce another one um, that we uh, encountered in uh, looking for people that were specific to to helping with those who suffer. And, And this particular saint is patron of those suffering from mental illness. You may not be suffering from mental illness, but the person who died and who took their life was very most likely suffering from mental illness. And you can walk with this saint as part of your connectivity, particularly if you find yourself isolating and you don't really want to broach this subject or what you're going through with a a human being in the flesh. This is St. Benedict Joseph Labre, um, L-A-B-R-E. Many have said that holiness has a bit of madness in the eyes of the world. This would certainly have been said of Benedict Joseph Labre during his life. He lived for many years as one cast out. Although he tried three times to enter various monasteries, the monks felt that he did not have a vocation. They were kind to him, but concerned about his lack of stability and propensity to wander. Benedict continued to persevere in seeking holiness. Considered eccentric, he spent most of his life somewhat removed from the world, living as a constant pilgrim and traveler. Many who suffer mental or emotional disorders feel unable to connect with the world and the people they come in contact with. For this reason, St. Benedict Joseph Labre is a perfect saint for those who suffer from illnesses of the human mind. But he's also perfect for those of you in prison who may sense yourself not able to connect with other people available to you in the streets of the prison because of what you're going through in dealing with someone's suicide. So St. Benedict Joseph was oldest of 15 children, prosperous middle-class family, educated by his uncle who was a parish priest, and following the uncle's death, He tried to join the Trappists, the Carthusians, and the Cistercians, but was rejected by them all. He spent years wandering Europe, especially Rome, in complete poverty, spending his days in perpetual adoration in the cathedrals. He was given to religious ecstasies when contemplating the crown of thorns. He was reputed to float, soar, and bilocate when in these swoons, he begged in the streets, and if he was given more than he needed for the day, he would give the remainder to someone he considered more in need than he was. Benedict healed some of his fellow homeless and was reported to have multiplied bread for them. Noted counselor to people of all walks in Rome, he died in a hospice, exhausted from his life of austerity. His biography, written by his confessor Marconi, describes 136 miraculous cures attributed to him within three months of his death, and his feast day is April the 16th. That's someone that you can call on. That's someone who can be part of your community of connectivity when you're struggling to do that in cell block, in dorm, wherever it is that you might be housed in prison. He's someone with whom you can pray. And we have a prayer here for him, and so we will pray to St. Benedict Joseph Labre with him so that he can be with us. Like all those that you ask of in prayer around you, we ask him to be with us in prayer as well. St. Benedict Joseph Labre, 
You gave up honor, money, and home for love of Jesus. Help us to set our hearts on Jesus and not on the things of this world. You lived in obscurity among the poor in the streets. Enable us to see Jesus in our poor brothers and sisters and not judge by appearances. Make us realize that in helping them, we are helping Jesus. Show us how to befriend them and not pass them by. St. Benedict Joseph Labre, you had a great love for prayer. Obtain for us the grace of persevering prayer, especially adoration of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. St. Benedict Joseph Labre, poor in the eyes of men but rich in the eyes of God, pray for us. Amen. And we will continue on in our series on coping with suicide as we continue through those things that can help us be able to not only mourn the loss of our loved ones when they have died, but also to be able to eventually find our way through the grief. And I would dare say, as you are able to do so, to be able to help yourself, to become an instrument of being able to monitor Watch out for the signs and other people that they may be contemplating suicide and come to their aid in a way that is most unexpected to them because they would never recognize that somebody is actually able to read those interior um, emotions that they're going through. We ask this uh, to, to be something that you can embrace and we look forward to sharing with you more in our next session. Brother, will you walk with me?